Well, good morning. Before I get started, I want to congratulate you on being here today. I know it's a little chilly outside. I guess we could say you are the chosen frozen or the frozen chosen. I'm not sure which is more appropriate. Um, but it's, I know it's chilly outside, but it's really not that bad if you think about it uh, in, in perspective. Um, 19 years ago today, my daughter Anna was born in Canada, and it was the air temperature was 43 below zero. So this is like a spring day in, in Canada. So my, one of my earliest memories as a kid uh, was on a family vacation, a trip that we took uh, to Idaho to see an uncle, my, my mom's oldest brother. Uh, he was a long ways up there. We only got there once or twice over the years, and I was just around four years old. But I do remember some things just kind of from that trip. And one of the things I remember is on the way back, we were traveling through Utah, and the highway took us by the, the Great Salt Lake. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever been to Great Salt Lake, but it's, it's huge, of course, and it's full of salt, very salty. And because of the salt content, you can float much easier in the water than you can in normal water. What I remember about it was my dad was in a bit of a hurry. He wasn't going to stop. We had a long way to go and a short time to get there. And, um, and my mom insisted that we stop. Uh, it was kind of an adventurous spirit, and she was like, I want to go and get in the Great Salt Lake. I'd never be here. I'll probably never be by here again. I want to I go there. I want to float in it. So Dad pulled over at the highway, uh, didn't let his kids out because he knew if he'd let us out, he would just, you know, we'd never get us back. And I remember Mom jogging over to the lake about 100 yards off the road, and she went into the water and was floating around in the water and splashing about for about five minutes. You know, there's a big body of water in the Bible that has some parallels to the Great Salt Lake. Maybe you've heard of the Dead Sea. And the reason they call the Dead Sea the Dead Sea is, well, is because, well, everything that's in it is dead. It can't support life because it's, it's the saltiest body of water on the earth, nine times saltier than the ocean. And because it's so salty, there's really no reason to go there. Uh, you can't fish. There's no fish. And, and you know, you don't build a vacation home there. You don't really want to, um, you know, water ski or boat in the water. I mean, the salt is just so corrosive. But people do go there, uh, tourists, uh, by the busloads, because when they go to the Great Salt Lake, they can float in the water and just kind of it's so buoyant. You just literally cannot sink. No matter how terrible you are doing a back float, you will not sink. Now, interestingly enough, there is fresh water that flows into the Dead Sea continuously. The Jordan River and several other streams uh, feed into the Dead Sea. But the problem is, is that the Dead Sea has no outlet. And because it has no outlet, the fresh water comes in and sits there idly, and the hot desert sun evaporates it all eventually. We're starting a new sermon series today uh, called Generous Living, or Living Generously. And over the next three weeks, myself and Pastor Wes are going to be um, looking at our goal for this series to is to help us as people not become a Dead Sea person. A Dead Sea person is the person who receives fresh blessings, who receives fresh resources, who receives input and provisions from God on a consistent daily basis. But there is no output. There is no outlet. Dead Sea people never channel any of those resources out to other people in their lives. And so during the course of these three weeks, we're going to be challenging ourselves to become more generous people with our time, our talent, and of course, our treasure. And it might be helpful for us to think about life with Christ like this. Uh, we are called, it's like, it's like a river. God's blessings and grace flows into our lives and our 
our purpose and our goal is to be then let those blessings and grace flow out in the lives of other people. To have an, there's input, but there also is to be output and outlet for God's blessings in our lives. And so this morning, before we get to the Philippians uh, 2 passage, it was read just a second ago. We're going to begin by looking uh, also at a parallel passage, three brief verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And, and, and we're going to see from these, we're going to think about it this way. Another story from um, family vacations. Uh, my, my wife was from Minnesota and um, her, her mom and where she grew up and her mom's still there lives about an hour south of, of Itasca State Park. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a beautiful park, huge old growth forests, bike trails, lakes. And it also is the home of the headwaters of the Mississippi. So this huge river that flows through our land and provides all this, you know, everything flows into it. Um, it begins in this state park and there's a place where you can, you know, the, you can walk across it. It's, you know, like ankle deep and maybe 10 feet wide or something like that as it comes out of Lake Itasca. Uh, the reason I bring that up is, 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 is if we want to talk about generous living and generosity, it's important for us to go to the source of generosity, the source of all good gifts. And, of course, we know that the source of all good gifts, the source of all generosity is, is God himself. And Jesus Christ is, is, is a model for a generous living for us to, to follow. So let's take a look now with that, those thoughts in mind. Let's take a look now at Second Corinthians chapter eight, verses seven. Uh, through nine. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, what does Paul mean when he says, for your sakes, he became poor? And, and how did that happen? How did Jesus Christ become poor for our sakes? Well, Paul has in mind Jesus' entire life, his entire incarnation, his entire earthly life. Uh, Jesus Christ divested his resources, his place in heaven, his status, his position, his, his power, and he became poor for our sakes. Paul spells it out in a little bit greater detail in the passage that was read just a minute ago out of Philippians 2, uh, verses 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. That's where it all begins. Jesus is in heaven enjoying comfort and peace and power and and in a perfect place, and he decides to give it all away, so to speak, to leave it all behind to come to planet Earth. That's the first point at which Jesus Christ becomes poor for us. The passage continues out of Philippians 2. By taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Paul's referring here to what we just celebrated a couple of days ago. Christ's birth at Bethlehem. Christ being becoming a... Uh, fully God, but also fully man, becoming uh, made in human likeness, being born in a, in a manger, in a dirty stable to poor parents, to a teenage peasant mother. But Christ is not yet done becoming poor for us. Paul continues, and being found in appearance as a man. Jesus lived 33 years on earth as a Palestinian peasant, peasant as an itinerant 
um, Jewish rabbi as a humble carpenter. He healed people. He taught people. He loved people. And people followed him. And all the time he had no place, the scripture tells us, to lay his head. Matthew 8.20, Jesus says this of himself. You want to follow me? I have no place to sleep at night, no pillow for my head, and you won't either. Do you still want to follow me? But Jesus is still not done giving up his riches on our behalf. Paul continues in Philippians 2. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so Jesus finally reaches a place where he lays down his very life to pay for my sins and your sins. Christ became poor for our sake. 2 Corinthians 8 9 tells us why Jesus did this. So that through his poverty, you might become rich. Rich in what way? Well, obviously, most importantly, spiritually rich. Rich in terms of a relationship with God. Rich in terms of forgiveness before a holy God. Rich in terms of, of the hope of the resurrection and the promise of heaven. All these and many, many other blessings from God. All these were a result, spiritual riches for us, because Christ became poor for our sake. But Paul says that God doesn't just give us spiritual riches. In Romans 8.32, Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him also graciously give us all things? I have no idea what Paul means by all things. But I just know that this God who wants to bless our lives by giving us Jesus, has a whole lot more in store for us than just the promise of heaven. God wants to pour out his riches on us, on you and me. God is tremendously generous. He is the source and originator of all generosity. So in light of this, how are we to respond? With gratitude. The more consistently we express gratitude to God, the more likely we are to follow in Jesus' footsteps. But the opposite is also true, unfortunately. A lack of gratitude will result in a corresponding lack of generosity. Let's say, for example, you have young kids and one night you decide to treat them. You take them to Dairy Queen and you buy a, a hot fudge sundae, a cookie dough blizzard and a cone dipped in chocolate. You give the kids a hot fudge sundae, a cookie dough blizzard, you eat the cone. You get done first and you've never had a cookie dough blizzard and you think, well, I gave them the cookie dough blizzard. I just want one little taste of just to see what it's like. And you ask them and they say, no, it's mine. You already ate yours. The lack of generosity stems from what? A a lack of, of gratitude, a lack of perspective where the gift came from in the first place. There's a huge connection between expressing gratitude to God for all the blessings in our lives and generosity. There's a great book written by a 30-something-year-old farmer's wife in Ontario, Canada. Uh, She's raised six kids and with her husband raised a lot of corn. And her book became a New York Times bestseller. It's called 1,000 Gifts. And Anne Voskamp, the author, explains her premise and theme of the book this way. She writes, All my growing up years, I was taught it's important to be grateful. I heard it from my parents. I heard it from my teachers. I heard it from the pastor of the church that I went to. But it never made me a more grateful person till finally one day I realized I've got to do something about it. I've got to work at being grateful. And so what she did is she decided to start keeping a journal in which every day she would write down 
the things that she would see that she should give God thanks for. It might be the snow falling on a pristine winter day. It could have been, it might be the sun setting on a beautiful fall evening. It could be the growth in her kids or something funny they did or, or her husband or whatever. They're, the point is, is that we have to, to intentionally think about the things that God has done for us. We have to work at being gracious. We have to develop an, a gratitude in our lives. As we do so, more and more will become like a river rather than a dead sea. So our role model for generosity is Jesus, but our motivation is love. In verse 8, Paul says this, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul is challenging the Corinthians to, to be more generous. And the, the situation, the context is here, is that Paul is traveling from city to city and church to church, many of these churches he planted, to take up a collection. Because you see, the, the believers, the church in Jerusalem, was undergoing a time of hardship and famine. Many people were dying, and they didn't, they didn't have the basic necessities of life. And so he's going around and taking up an offering uh, for uh, these believers in Jerusalem. And he's about to come to Corinth, a church that he himself planted, and he's going to take an offering up, and so he writes in advance to kind of give them a heads up and so they can plan and be ready. And Paul says, don't do this because I want you to. Don't do this because I'm commanding you to. Do this out of love. Love for God. Love for Jesus. Love for all the blessings he's done for you. Love for your fellow believers, who, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are, who are suffering. Paul says the motivation for giving should be a love for God and a love for people who have both physical and spiritual needs. Now, many of us assume that we would give more if we had more. If we had more time, we'd give more time. If we had more money, bigger income, we'd give more. But in truth, we give more if we have a bigger love. A few years back during the presidential election, there was a a debate amongst the, president, the Republican candidates in Des Moines, Iowa. In the middle of the debate, Mitt Romney said something that he immediately regretted as soon as it came out of his mouth. Maybe you remember what he said. It was in the news. One of the guys, other candidates, was heckling him about his record. And Romney felt this other guy was, had his facts wrong. And so he said to him, in front of everybody, I'll bet you $10,000 you're wrong. And remember, Iowa, a place the average salary is 38000 a year. And so immediately everybody's thinking, who has $10,000 to bet? And so people tempted to write him off because they thought he's so wealthy he can't relate to the average person. And we can do the same thing sometimes in the church with generous givers. We're tempted to write them off and say, well, they give a lot because they, they have a lot. If I had more money, bigger income, I'd do the same thing. But there are stingy people and generous people at every level of income, at every pay grade. The difference is love and appreciation and a, and a response to God's goodness and blessing in their life. In fact, the Apostle Paul drives this point home in verse 8 when he does a, a not so subtle comparison between the Corinthians who were leaning towards stinginess and folks who had already displayed great generosity. These people, the opening verses of 2 Corinthians 8 tells us who they are. They were Believers in a church in Macedonia, modern-day Greece. And Paul had already been there, and he'd already taken up an offering there, and they were extraordinarily generous with him. 
But the interesting thing was, was Macedonia was a very poor place, dirt poor. The Corinthians were the big city. They were affluent, relatively affluent. And so Paul tells them in verse 1, We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overwhelming, overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing, of giving in the service to the saints. If we want to stand in, in the river of God's grace and channel some of the resources that we receive from God downstream to others, if we want to become more generous people, then our motivation has to begin with love, with gratitude for what God has done for us and love for the people around us. And before I close, I want to say a couple of things. First, I want you to know that I know and appreciate that this church is a very generous church. So don't, please don't take this as scolding. Our church has been very good over the years and filled with many people who live generously and who give generously, who have a heart for God, who have a heart for others and meet needs. And we're thankful for that. Secondly, I want to say that I know people usually don't feel real comfortable when a pastor talks about giving of any kind. And I understand that. Most pastors don't really get real excited about talking about the subject either. But if we are to take our cues from Jesus Christ, we must. 16 of Jesus' 28 parables, 16 out of 28, deal with money, possessions, or giving. Over 2,000 verses in the Bible, more than any other topic, deal with money, possessions, and or giving. Why? I think it's because as human beings, we almost instinctively want to hang on to the things that we have. I think it has something to do with our need for security and, and control. And, and like most of us, there have been times in my life when I struggled with this. But that's exactly why Jesus and the Bible address it so much. You see, we can put our trust in possessions rather than God, the giver of all good gifts anyway. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so the question for this series, really, on this topic of being generous with our lives, time, talent, and treasure, is where is my heart? What does it trust in? What does it love? Our attitude and our actions regarding our material possessions reveals a lot reveals to us a lot the answers to these questions. God calls us to live generously. And he's not calling us to do anything that he hasn't already done for us. He has blessed us and we cannot outgive God. He has blessed us and given us so much through his son, Jesus Christ. So we, may we be people as individuals who live and give generously for his kingdom, for his glory, and for the sake of others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And we thank you for his example. We thank you that he did um, not remain in heaven and hang on to his, his privileges and his position. But he emptied himself. He came to earth as one of us. And he became poor. Practically in every sense. So that we could be become rich and be blessed, rich in peace and joy and hope and forgiveness 
in a relationship with you, relationship with others. We thank you for that, Father. May we as individuals in this coming year, may we continue, continue to grow and stretch uh, as we give of our time, our talent, and our treasure for you and for the sake of others. Through Christ, we ask this. Amen.